apologies if you're uh, sitting there slightly chilly this morning. The heating tripped out, and um, uh, it's only when Rob suddenly noticed that we switched it back on. So it's slightly cold, but never mind. The welcome is warm, even if the temperature isn't. But it's good. It is good to open up God's Word, and that's what we're going to do right now. So over the past few weeks, we've been looking at Ephesians 4, and we've been looking at the, um, the, the, the church model that, that Paul builds in that chapter. And as I was thinking about this week, I thought, well, we've got, we've got two weeks until the church weekend. This week and next week, and then um, those who are going to Sizewell will be at Sizewell. Um, there'll be an online uh, service for those who, who aren't. Um, when we get back from Sizewell... Believe it or not, it feels like we're almost starting the run into Easter. I know it's still January, it's a bit too soon to be talking about Easter, but, but it doesn't take long, does it, for, for suddenly you suddenly realise, wow, we're, we'll be at the end of February before we know it, it's a short month, and then, then Easter's not that far away. In the run into Easter, we're going to be looking at a series um, of the, the Old Testament signposts that point towards Jesus. We're going to be looking at, at the times in the Old Testament when we see Jesus being, being uh, described, being prophesied, being talked about. And that's going to lead us in to the Easter period. But this week and next week, I was thinking, what, are we going to, what, what does it feel we should be looking at? Because the world's in a funny state at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, you could say that at any given time in history, but we've got, we've got two massive armies forming not that far away. That's a worry. We've got allegations of political corruption and deceit. People who we've put our trust in to lead the country. And that's a concern. We've got natural disasters that happen year in, year out, but it doesn't mean that we become blasé about it. We still have a global pandemic. I'm still sitting here with a, a sea of masks in front of me rather than people's faces. At times like this, it can be really difficult to keep faith. It can be really difficult not to be rattled. It can be really difficult not to, not to stop and say, really? Really, if God, is, if God is God, if he is everything that we talk about week after week, if he's that good, how on earth are we in this state? How are we in this situation? And so today, and next week when we have our communion service, we are going to take a look at a letter that was written for just such a time as this. It's a letter that was written to the Hebrews. Now, Hebrews is a fantastic book of the Bible. It's a brilliant book which, which explains why we believe what we believe. It talks about it talks about angels, it talks about priests, it talks about Jesus, it talks about forgiveness, it talks about salvation, it talks about faith, it talks about all these massive themes that we need to know about to understand. But this is a letter that was written to a group of people who were rattled. 
I say that, I must qualify it by saying no one's actually entirely sure. There's a lot of mystery around this letter. No one's entirely sure who wrote it for a start. Some say Paul, some say Luke, some say Barnabas, some say a completely different author that we don't know anything about. We don't know exactly when it was written. It appears to be sometime towards the end of the first generation of people who had, who had seen Jesus and sometime before the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. So most people suggest it was kind of between uh, maybe 60 to 70 AD, that sort of time, but no one's entirely sure. But it was written to a group of Jewish believers. They may have been the Jews in Jerusalem, or it may have been another group, Antioch, Caesarea, somewhere like that. But it's clearly a group for whom the temple and Jewish tradition had played a huge part in their lives. They'd become followers of the way, the name given to early Christians, and what that would have meant was that they would have made themselves pretty unpopular. They may have been shunned by their families for turning away from Jewish tradition. They may have lost jobs, they may have lost property. They may have been cast out, made into an isolated community. But the writer of this letter writes to encourage his readership. It was written at a time when the world seemed a very uncertain place for these people. They didn't know where they stood politically, economically, socially. Questions would have started to creep in about whether or not the, the teaching that they had heard in the aftermath of, of Jesus was actually reliable. Shouldn't we just go back to the old established way? Wasn't that better? That it served our ancestors generation after generation. Shouldn't we go back to that? And this letter is almost like a sermon written by a minister imploring his congregation, please, 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 I know things look bleak. I know things are tough at the moment. I know there are these questions and I know that we've got to work through a whole host of issues. But please, keep the faith. Don't give up. Trust in God. The letter to the Hebrews begins with the author reminding his readership that in the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had, been provi after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So, so to begin with, we we are reminded of Jesus' sovereignty, of who Jesus was. Jewish tradition had been used to prophets. These great people who had been chosen by God, who had been 
given words and visions and images and messages by God who have been sent to difficult places, to difficult situations, often to speak harsh words, but they had done so. And then, sure enough, history had shown that, that, what, they, that what, they'd, what they'd warned against, what they'd said was going to happen, happened. Because it wasn't them guessing, it was God giving them truth. I don't know about you, but I struggle if I look around for modern prophets. I'm not saying there aren't prophets, of course, we know that prophecy is one of the gifts that we spoke about when we looked at Ephesians 4. It's a gift that is given to churches for people to, to, to exercise in churches to help a church, to help equip God's people to go out and do kingdom work. But the type of prophets that, that the writer of the Hebrews is looking for, he's saying, he's talking about the, the major prophets, the minor prophets that we read about in Scripture. If we spend our time looking for prophets, then it's difficult, isn't it? No one... No Christian prophet in the world stood up and, and said COVID was coming. Nobody saw that happening. Or the natural disasters that come and go, or environmental decline, these major issues that, that we spend so long concerning ourselves with, and rightly so, no one saw it coming. And so if we bog ourselves down looking for the modern-day prophets, then we take our eyes off Jesus who we're told later on in this letter is the author and perfecter of our faith. There aren't any major prophets in the world at the moment because we have Jesus. He, is the, he was the new covenant. He gave us all the teaching that we need. And so the writer of the Hebrews says to his people, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through our prophets. But now... Jesus is with us through his Holy Spirit. And Jesus, despite being the Son of God, despite having ascended and risen to now be seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, in chapter 2, he writes, both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. When we call ourselves children of God, what a privilege. What a privilege. We are of the same family. Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. That's in the word of God. Jesus isn't ashamed of us. Whatever we've done in life, whatever our, our story is, whatever pit we've found ourselves dwelling in the bottom of and had to climb out of, whenever we've been covered in the muck and the mire and the filth of the world and the mistakes that we've made, Jesus is not ashamed of us. How can we read that and not be encouraged? Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. This is an ongoing process. This is not an ancient relic. This is not something that we look back and, and see, well, that wasn't that wonderful, that event that happened. This is an ongoing process. It was necessary for God to send his son into the world to live amongst people, to experience what it's like to fear, what it's like to suffer, 
what it's like to, to lose people, to see hurt and anguish, what it's like to be humiliated and scorned. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. Whatever we might be struggling with at the moment, Jesus, Jesus knows what it's like. And he joins us on our journey. In chapter 3, see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Encourage one another daily. What a fantastic mantra for a church to have. We should be the most encouraging place that any of us go to in the week. I used to know a lady who was a, a life coach. And boy, she was, the, she was brilliant. Whenever I saw her come into church, I would immediately go and say, hey, how you doing? Because I knew whatever, whatever she said, I would come away feeling encouraged. The gift of encouragement was on her. There is nowhere, nowhere in the Bible that we read about the gift of discouragement. And yet, so often, we seem to practice it. The gift of discouragement is not of God. God is an encouraging God, and he wants his people to be encouragers. Because if we don't encourage each other, then we may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Sin convinces us that we can't get away from it. Sin convinces us that it's got us, that it's got its claws in us, that it's trapped us. But if we encourage each other to follow Jesus, who is not ashamed of us, despite our sin, then those claws just fall away because we are saved. I love this letter. I love this letter because it comes from a heart of a minister who, or a, a priest maybe, a leader of the early church, whatever his title may have been. This is someone who loved the people they were writing to. I need, to, I need to be completely honest here. Can you do me a favour, church? When we have conversations, where, wherever it may be, whether it's on a Sunday morning or any, any other time during the week, can you start saying to me, what's my name? Because I'll be totally honest, an awful lot of you have come up to me and said, hi, Tom, I'm... And I've said, oh, hi. And I've, got, I've not got a sticky brain and it goes in one ear and out the other, and I'll listen to what's being said in the conversation, and I'll think, right, I'm going to remember that date for that appointment, or I'm going to remember that you're, you've got that test coming up, or, and then I'll think, oh, no, what was the name? Oh, I I'm going to look so rude. I can't, I can't ask. <laughs> I, can't, I can't ask again. And so can you just do that? Because... I've got a heart for this church. I've spoken at the last encounter evening that I've got a heart for this church that I've never felt before for a church. And I, I don't know the ins and outs of your lives, and we're gonna, we'll work through that. That's a process that will happen. But when, when I read this letter, where I see this, the author imploring the church, don't give up, keep going, keep going, that's a deep-seated love which God has put on the heart of this individual. And I want to know each one of you by name, 
And I'm not great at remembering names, but it's difficult when on a Sunday morning you hear 40 or 50 names, and then for the rest of the week you're trying to remember them all. So start a, quest, a conversation, Tom, what's my name? And I'll have that moment of, of embarrassment where I have to say, um, <clears throat> yeah, sorry, and then remind me. Because Jesus knew each one of us by name. Each one of us by name. I think it's so important. The first step of a proper relationship is remembering a name. I meant to say that when we started doing the fudge tin and people started coming up every week. I think, oh no, I forgot to ask people to tell me their names. So I just thought, I'd put it out there. A name is important. But there's no name that is more important than the name of Jesus. You see, whatever is going on in the world, Jesus can identify it with us. In the prayers that we've, just, that we've just heard, that Ian's just led us in. I remember your name, Ian. In those prayers, he spoke about the Ukraine crisis. Jesus was no stranger to the threat of war. In fact, he warned us about it. Matthew 24, Jesus said, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in, come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, and deceive many. You will, hear war, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of the birth pains. All these things are the sort of things that can rattle us and make us question God. But it's all part of the plan. Jesus put it there in black and white in the word of God. And so when we find ourselves in a world that is facing these situations, do not be shaken. Do not be afraid. In the headlines at the moment, there is political corruption. And we can think, well, did Jesus really get involved in politics? Well, maybe not directly, but he certainly knew about corruption. What should I do then with Jesus, who is called Christ, Pilate asked in Matthew 27. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. That's political corruption right there. An innocent man being put to death simply because a baying crowd demanded it. Jesus was no stranger to political corruption. Disease, suffering, the suffering that we read about, the suffering of the family who who lost their child to a falling tree yesterday in the gales. God, why? The suffering of people who have lost loved ones through, through COVID. God, why? I can't offer you the, the answers to that, but I can offer you Jesus. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani." which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus called out to God. 
in his suffering and his pain and his anguish. Why have you forsaken me? So that we, so that we can call out to Jesus in our suffering and our anguish. You see, Jesus has been there and done it. Jesus is a saviour who we can call on no matter what we're going through. At any time, we can call on Jesus. Jesus has been there. He has walked the walk. He has got the scars to prove it. And one day, we will come and take our seat in his presence. I'm going to ask the band to lead us in a song of worship now. And then we're going to have the second part of the sermon, which will be slightly longer. And the reason we're doing this is because the first part of the letters to the Hebrews is glorifying Jesus. It's reminding us, a reminder that we all need from time to time of the magnificence of our Saviour, of our Jesus. And I just want us to thank God, just to worship Jesus in this song. And then we're going to take a look at the second part of the letter. And I know we can't do Hebrews in one sermon. It's a huge body of work. But Jesus is so special. Let's just remind ourselves of his majesty and worship him now.
I know it's a bit unusual to have a, have a song midway through a sermon, but I thought, oh, come on, we'll, we'll, we'll give it a go. It's good, to, it's good not to get stuck in a rut, isn't it? But also, I just think it's so important to remind ourselves of the majesty of Jesus. We throw his name around, which is good. We celebrate his name. But when we stop and consider what he went through, from the moment he was first conceived, he was a scandal. He suffered, he lived in poverty, he went through so much. And ultimately, he died for us on the cross. And the writer of the book of Hebrews spends the first 10 chapters impressing that upon his readership. And then he gets to chapter 11. And I just wanted to finish up with an overview of chapter 11 this morning. Because Hebrews chapter 11 is about a virtue. A virtue that we all hopefully have. It's the virtue of faith. He offers us a definition of faith. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and being certain of what we do not see. For some people, when I think about what it means to have faith, to believe in something, they get mixed up with having something proven to them. So, I had a conversation a few months ago with a friend of mine who is um, he's a, a scientifically minded guy, and he flippantly threw out there in the middle of the conversation, well, science can prove everything. I said, can it? Yeah, of course it can. Can it? Well, all right, not everything, but most things, not everything, though, can it? There are some things in the world that, that we just have to believe in. No, no, you can prove things. And then I said, okay, so what about the criminal or the accused in a court of law? The accused is charged with a crime, and then a body of evidence is put together. And unless there is a, um, an admission of guilt, yes, Your Honour, I, I did it, then that body of evidence gets added to and added to and examined and gone through, and eventually the jury have to make a decision. Is the body of evidence convincing enough? Do we feel convicted that this is the right decision to send this individual free or to send them to jail? That there's faith in there. And eventually my scientist friend begrudgingly admitted that science cannot prove everything. And in fact, there's so much in the world that takes faith. I cannot explain to you how my car works, but I have faith it will get me home. I hope I haven't just um, <clears throat> set myself up for a fall there. But the writer of Hebrews 
once he's established the definition of faith, goes through the doctrines of faith, beginning with creation, and then going on to sacrifice, and then going on to obedience to God. And in verse 13, he, having spoken about, about creation, having spoken about Abel, Cain and Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, he pauses and he makes a point. All these amazing stories we talk of, all these people that, that did these amazing things that demonstrated a faith that, that we still hold up today as, as, as an example. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. The Old Testament is full of amazing stories of faith. Faith that, that faced down Goliath. Faith, faith that wasn't terrified but was prepared to go into a den of lions. Faith that led people to the banks of the river and called on God to part the seas, to part the waters. Faith that built an ark, which must have seemed like an absolutely insane thing to be doing. But all these amazing stories came about because of faith. We read time and time again of, of amazing faith stories. People who have shown faith which simply defied all logic. And we celebrate them, and rightly so. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. You see, with faith comes patience. Faith is like a, like a seed that is planted. And if we don't nurture it, if we don't, don't water it with, with prayer and with testimony, and with, with, with examining the lives of those around us in church and in our families, Christian people, if we don't take the time to, to nourish that seed, then it won't grow. And we'll look at these stories and say they're just that, stories. But instead, what we read of in Hebrews 11 is example after example after example of people who acted on faith. Salvation didn't come to them because of what they did. They did what they did because of their faith. In Mark 5, we read about a lady who was hemorrhaging. She was bleeding. And she reached out when she saw Jesus in the crowd. She'd been suffering for 12 years. She'd suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and she'd spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. She was at her absolute wit's end. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. We don't know why she thought that. We don't know anything about this lady. But she had such faith, she believed that if she just touched his cloak, she would be healed. 
So she reaches out, she touches Jesus' cloak. Immediately her bleeding is stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. There was this inner change, she felt it, not just the, not just the physical condition changing, but she felt a change inside her. And Jesus feels it too. You see, Jesus feels it when we reach out to him. When we properly put our faith in him, Jesus, who's, who's, who did that? Was that you? Jesus notices. He asks a question, who touched my clothes? His disciples say, You're, <laughs> Lord, there's, there's, there's loads of people here. It could have been anyone. Just, just keep going. And he says, no, someone touched my cloak. And when the lady says, it was, it was me, Jesus' response, daughter, your faith has healed you. Not my power has healed you. Not congratulations, you're the chosen one today. Your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Make no mistake, when we demonstrate faith, Jesus notices. In that same passage, we read about Jairus' daughter. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. Whatever we bring to church this morning, whatever has happened to us this week, whatever we fear for the next week, whatever we're wrestling with, struggling with, going through, whatever our loved ones are experiencing, the words of Jesus, don't be afraid, just believe. Jesus goes into the house took the child by the hand and said, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. Again, by faith. By faith. And so, you would rightly say, it's overambitious to cover the letter to the Hebrews in just two weeks. Next week, we're going to focus on Hebrews 12. And we're going to prepare ourselves for communion that we'll share together at the end of that service. But I wanted us to spend some time looking at the letters to the Hebrews today. We may have just scratched the surface, but it's a surface worth scratching. And I hope that in, in months to come, at some point, we can do a proper in-depth study of the letters to the Hebrews because it is so rich in reminding us of the basis of our faith. But for today... As we, as we pray, as we worship, maybe we can commit to going home and as a new month starts, perhaps we can challenge ourselves to read the letter to the Hebrews this month. Maybe you've got a whole day free and you want to read it in one block. But it is 
a letter which, despite having been written all those years ago, is absolutely relevant for us today. Whatever is going on in the world, whatever is going on in our personal lives, whatever is going on in our church, we don't put our faith in, in ministers. Ministers let us down. We don't put our faith in, in church leaders because they're just as fallible as the rest of us. We don't put our faith in world leaders. We don't put our faith in, in organizations or share prices. We don't put our faith even in, in the medical profession. We put our faith in Jesus. We put our faith in Jesus. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That's the Jesus that we worship. That is the reason that we come here week in, week out. That is the reason why we're watching online if we're, if we're not well enough to be here. That is the reason why we are a church, why we reach out in our community, why we, why we give to the homeless, why we try and help the needy, why we, why we wrestle with what should we be doing, how can we do more and more and more. This appetite comes because that's the example that Jesus sets us. And it's a wonderful thing. And whilst we should never beat ourselves up by, for the things that we can't do, we should always be looking for what we can. Because Jesus is our high priest. He's been there, he's done it, he's got the scars to prove it, and he calls us to follow in his footsteps. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for sending your son into this world. And Father, it's so easy for us to, to look at the headlines and see the state of the world around us and to, to question. To question if there really is a master plan, if there really is one who has total control and authority. But Lord, when we, when we come and study your word, we, we leave in no doubt whatsoever that there is. That you are the author of creation, that you are the ruler over all, and that you sent your son into the world because you love your people, and because you want us to be reconciled to you through Jesus. Father God, we thank you for what Jesus did for us. We thank you for that life lived. We thank you for the faith that we see demonstrated by all these, these heroes of Scripture, but Lord, we also acknowledge that they were all in some way flawed, that they were just as, as vulnerable as we are to sin, to temptation, to distraction. And so, Father God, we, we pray right now that, that we will not be distracted in our lives that you will help us to maintain a spiritual focus on you and on the direction in which you are calling us. 
that we may be obedient to your calling and follow you because we know that there is no better path to follow in life than the path that Jesus has set before us. So, Father God, bless us now as we close this time together in worship. In Jesus' name, amen. So we just quietly close this time with a song that says, Lord, this has been for you.